into Jordan. Here's Michael at the foul line. A shot on Elo. Good! The Bulls win! Playoffs? We'll talk about playoffs? You kidding me? I'm supposed to be the franchise player, and we're in here talking about practice. Hello? You play to win the game. They're down to the 20. All the band is out on the field. He's going to go into the end zone. I don't believe what I just saw. One of the all-time shockers. Hi, everyone. I'm Mitch Goldich, and welcome to episode 16 of my very creatively named Mitch Goldich podcast. I am very excited to have today's guest. It is a repeat guest and, dare I say, friend of the pod, he was my first ever guest from episode one, and now the first to return for a second episode. Eric Malinowski is back. Hey, Eric. Hey, it's a reboot. We're, we're, <laughs> it we're, is. We're taking the original, and we're, we're, we're reintroducing it for a new audience. There you go. Yes. Um, we taped the original one in August of 2015, oh my and <laughs> you had recently covered the Warriors' first title, and oh. we talked about the Giants winning the World Series. Um, so it's been a little more than two years, and in that time, you have written and published a book, and I have taped 16 episodes of a podcast, so it sounds like we've both been pretty busy. We have come so far <laughs> in such a really, actually a short amount of time. Yes. Um, so you have done a lot of this, and we were talking about that a little bit before we started rolling here. Uh, how much promotion have you actually done for your book? How many podcasts and radio hits and things have you done? I think this is my fourth podcast just this week. It's been about two and a half weeks since the book came out. I would say between radio hits and podcasts, I've got to be – I'm definitely above three dozen, probably a, approaching maybe 40, maybe a little bit over 40 total. And uh, and that, that might not seem like a lot spread out over that time, but <laughs> they were front-loaded and they were constant. And it took all of my like Google Calendar organizational skills <laughs> to like not miss a hit. And I was really proud of the fact that I was not like – you know, blindsided by my phone ringing, you know, from Walla Walla, Washington or something like that. Um, but I got through it. I'm OK. I think I'm, I'm mostly on the other side of it now. You just uh, said that you did 40 radio hits and then said it might not sound like a lot. That, uh, well, that definitely sounds like a lot. I mean, you spread it out. It's like, oh, that's averaging like two a day or something. But it's been it's felt like a lot more than that. Put it that way. All right, so I uh, did not listen to any of those intentionally. Um, a couple of them appeared in my podcast feed to some podcasts that I subscribe to. This will be the best one. I decided, yeah, I just I didn't want to be influenced. So I will hopefully ask you some questions that nobody has asked you, but I'm sure I will ask you a couple at least that you have already answered a million times. Right, I believe 40 it times. You. We can do this. All right. Um, so I guess so. What's the name of the book? It's Beta Ball, <laughs> um, and that you wrote easy. it about. We should have. I should have started that off the top by saying, "Oh yeah, you wrote a book called Beta Ball about the Warriors." Do you want to mm-hmm. give like the uh, the thirty second elevator pitch on uh, your book and how it came about and what the book is about? Yes, I mean I got this idea, you know, starting in it was in the middle of the seventy three win season. They were forty eight and four going into the All Star break, which is you know completely insane. Uh, but I got this idea to do uh, a book about them, uh, A, because I felt like we were watching uh, a team that was not just great but you know, historically significant uh, in terms of what they were doing now, in terms of where the NBA is evolving. And then I had done some reporting on the Warriors back in 2011, uh, back when I worked for Wired.com, and I had done a feature back then about how this new ownership group had just come in and they were embracing all of these new scientific initiatives and you know, trying to instill a new sort of uh, organizational culture. And uh, and in doing all these things, they were going to hopefully, you know, transform the franchise. Maybe they can scrape their way back to, you know, mediocrity, maybe make the playoffs in a few years. 
Um, I don't think anybody foresaw, you know, that they would get this good this quickly. So I thought that, you know, I was uniquely suited because I had done this reporting on them previously because I had access to the team through, you know, the freelance reporting I was doing on them, you know, first with Sports on Earth and then with Bleacher Report. Um, and I didn't have like full time job, you know, so I had the bandwidth. I had the time to really dig in, you know, to do something, uh, you know, that was timely and topical and urgent. And so, yeah, the, the end of result was beta ball, how Silicon Valley and science built one of the greatest basketball teams in history. And it came out, uh, yeah, two, three weeks ago. And and it's been good. You know, the book that I envisioned is the book that I ultimately got to write. So, you know, outside of that, uh, I can't really control a whole lot, but I'm, I'm pretty happy with how it turned out. And, and people really seem to be digging it. All right. So I want to now flip to the very back of the book for my first question here. Yes. Uh, your notes section is very <laughs> detailed and Thank long. Thank you. And it looks like a huge pain in the ass. And I've read many books that uh, have no note sections at all and some that are <laughs> impressive like yours. I'm, I can tell that was important to you. So why why did yeah. you want to have such a detailed notes section and, uh, <sighs> and, and why, would, why did you take on such, such an undertaking for a part right. of the book that a lot of people probably don't even bother to read? All right. So a few things. Where to begin? Um, I'm a, I was a magazine fact checker for seven years at Wired Magazine before I before I started writing sports for their website. So to me, like it's like very much like ingrained in my DNA to like document things. And, and you know, this is obviously, you know, part and parcel with writing a book like this. You know, you sort of have to have a note section, I think, uh, especially when you're talking about a lot of historical stuff and, you know, a lot of reporting that was also done by other people and stuff like that. And you're, you're putting it in context. So. That was really that was really critical. I, I had done a pretty good job of you know outlining a lot of this stuff when I was going through the manuscript the first time. But the one thing that they don't tell you is that I mean it, I mean when you're writing a book, it's like oh you've handed in the manuscript and now the edits are done great. And then the thing they don't really tell you about is now you have to do the notes section. So it's like it's one thing to just you know highlight stuff in like you know a Scrivener document or something like that as you're writing a manuscript. It's a whole other thing to actually go through. Be, you know, almost line by line, page by page, you know, extract the phrasing, copy it somewhere else, you know, take note of what page it's on, although that page is going to you know change later once they paginate it by the publisher. And then you have to explain exactly. You have to be consistent. You have to do the same format every single time. And then, you know, some of these uh, fell under the category of citations, you know, so, you know, it's a New York Times story from 1988 or something like that. And then some of them I just thought of basically as DVD extras, you know, the things that you would actually see as a traditional footnote, but I didn't want to bog down the actual pages. So I wanted to put all of that stuff in the back, but I wanted that to be a value add. I wanted that to be a little reward for the people that maybe go back there first, such as yourself, you know, or the people that end up back there at some point that are constantly flipping back and forth to see where something came from, but just not to see where it came from, but to actually just give it a little extra context. Like, you know, this idea that, you know, one example is, you know, Peter Goobers, you know, this very prolific Hollywood producer. And I don't actually go into Peter Goober a lot in the book, but one of the things I do in the back of the notes section is I tell this little anecdote from a book that he wrote a few years ago. About how he, you know, helped uh, uh, convince Jack Nicholson to take the role of the Joker in Tim Burton's Batman. I mean, that's one of his, you know, lasting contributions to Hollywood is that, you know, Peter Goober was smack in the middle of this, and I, it's just not the sort of thing that you, you know, it, it's too much of an aside of a tangent to say that in the actual na narrative in the manuscript. But it's a great thing to throw in the back in the notes section and to have people you know, basically be rewarded for going back there. So, you know, that was that was pretty much the mindset I wanted to. 
you know, it, it really just make that kind of a fun little value add for readers. And uh, and if people go back there and they discover something fun, and they laugh about it, then then I guess it was mission accomplished. Nice. So I'm I'm uh, this was my goal to ask you. It was you. You were my audience. I, I hope that uh, that nobody else asked about the notes section that early. Um, I don't think but so. I like no. the uh, I, I wanted to get into the nerdy uh, minutia of, of writers and mm-hmm. uh, and the actual writing process. Because and actually I noticed there were a bunch of places where I feel like a lot of stuff that you would read either online or in magazine or even in other books where you, you were able to just uh, put somebody's words and be like so and so said this in an interview and then move right on. Mm-hmm. And it kind of helped the whole pacing where you didn't have to stop yeah. and say, in an interview with so-and-so at this place. Yeah. And it was like kind of fun, like flipping back and forth and seeing, I didn't do it like for every single aside, but kind of mm-hmm. would go through. And, and so it was cool being able to, to not get bogged down with that and be able to like check that out afterwards. And, uh, and look, yeah, so there were places where it was more important to say, but like in terms of the actual, you know, the narrative itself, you know, where you have to say like, well, you know, so-and-so told Grantland back in 2015, where there it makes sense in context, you know, but it's like, but yeah, otherwise you can really use the notes section to your benefit. You, you make it clear that, oh, you know, he said this in the past. As long as you don't, as long as you make it clear that like this is not a thing, you know, this is not a contemporaneous statement. You know what I mean? Like as long as you do that, then it's fine. As long as you cite everything in the back, you're, you're, you're covering your butt sufficiently and you're know, unruly attributions and things like that. All right. So another uh, another question about sort of the writing process for you. Um, I found myself thinking about this as I was reading, but who would you say your audience was for the book? And I didn't know if that uh, changed as you were doing it or how it influenced your decisions. Um, Cause I think there's a lot in there for like hardcore basketball fans who sure. like, as, as I was reading, there were a lot of things that I remembered and there were like individual games that I remember watching them and mm-hmm. things that I knew were coming up. And then I'm sure there are a lot of people who might not be huge basketball fans, but they're casual Warriors fans or casual basketball fans. And for them, there was a lot in here that was probably new. I mean, not mm-hmm. that there wasn't new stuff for everybody. Sure. So I was curious a little bit about, um, you know, as you're going into it, like deciding who your audience would be and what to leave in and what to kind of zoom through and what to make a little more detailed and, and how that process kind of went. <laughs> Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I think it's for both of those. I think it's for Warriors fans, and I think it's for general, you know, basketball fans. I think those are probably the two primary audiences. But I would, I would think that uh, either of those would get different things out of it. I think that Warriors fans would get, you know, it'd be a little bit more of a nostalgia trip, and and but if anything, they would be able to look at it with a fresh perspective, you know, in a fresh sort of context, and like, oh yeah, I kind of remember that. And, oh yeah, I kind of forgot that those. You know, those narrative threads kind of crisscrossed at that point in time. And, oh, that's interesting. And, and, and you know, being able to write, you know, the, the story that they know, but being able to write it with the benefit of hindsight um, and then be able to, you know, uh, you know, tie in all of these things uh, over the years and to see all these connections where maybe they hadn't seen them before. I think that's the kind of thing that I, I really feel like every Warriors fan should should have this on their shelf and they should read through it and enjoy it. And I think with general NBA fans, I feel like. You know, there's just so much to this story that has happened over the last six years. You know, I think back to when I was, you know, almost done writing this proposal. Uh, you know, the New York Times Magazine came out with their big cover story on, you know, basically you know, about the Warriors and Silicon Valley and all that. And, you know, and the framework of that story was very much in line with what I was already writing in my proposal. And uh, and I got really frustrated at that point because I thought, oh, geez, you know, the New York Times Magazine has blown up my spot here. What am I going to do? Um, but then I kind of then I, I calmed down. I actually read the story instead of just the headline and the cover, and I realized that there was just so much that they were leaving out. And it was just it's about the confines of a magazine story. I don't you, I don't know what that story was four or five thousand words at the most. Um, there was just so much more to, to everything that was happening that they just could not get into. 
So then I felt a little bit validated because it's like, well, I know it's a good story, you know, because the New York Times Magazine is putting it on its cover. Um, but there's so much more to this that we need to get into. And so, so yeah, it would be like, you know, the, the reader basically of that story, you know, a very sort of general mainstream kind of sports fan who's going to read the New York Times Magazine, they're going to get so much more out of this book than they ever could out of a magazine story. And so, yeah, I think it's both of those audiences primarily. Uh, I think there's a li- there's a lot of uh, business and tech in here. You know, I think there's stuff in there where you know business people where they read about you know how how did Joe Lacob go about actually you know reorganizing this whole franchise and and what are the philosophies that he ins- tried to instill. I think there's a lot of stuff there that's relatable to the business world, but. Yeah, I mean, I think it's different things for different folks, but uh, I, I tried to keep all of those different audiences in mind, and and at the same time, I really just could only write the book that I know how to write, and and if all of those audiences gravitate to it, then I think all the better. Mm-hmm. And how about also the difference between writing for your typical internet audience? I feel like uh, right. you know you have your uh, group and your followers and newsletter subscribers. And those are different from the people who are going to walk into a bookstore and buy a book. So I, I was looking mm-hmm. through, and I know you left in a couple of like like internet Twitter kind of jokes. You did call <laughs> J.R. Smith piping hot at one point, which could not have been an accident. Um, the other yeah. one, I would t- you, uh, I've seen other people tweet screenshots of this. I had never taken 23 out of 33 field goal percentage out to the second decimal point before, but you definitely <laughs> snuck that in there. Um, yeah. Did you uh, like hold back on some of those like internet kind of jokes or just sprinkle them in or like how was this uh, you know, different from yeah. your typical writing? You know, I, I just kind of approached it with I just wanted to have fun writing this. You know, that, that's I've, I, I try to have sort of a fun sensibility. Sports is supposed to be fun. I think sometimes we uh, it's easy to forget that. Um, and, you know, I may never write a book another again. I mean, I want to. I, I think I will. But there, you can't take these things for granted. So, you know, I. Uh, there's a you know there's a non-zero chance that this will be the only book I ever write. So I just wanted to just write write in my voice and just write with my sensibility. And uh, and if people dig it, that's great. And if people get the get the asides and the in jokes, that's great. But if not, I you know I don't think it uh, distracts uh, in any way from 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 the from the reading uh, uh, enjoyment they could have of it. But uh, no, I mean I can only I can only write the book that I know how to write. I'll say that you know one of the great mistakes that I made in the beginning of this process was, uh, you know, after, after the finals had ended, you know, after they had dropped the seventh game, uh, in excruciating fashion to the Cleveland Cavaliers. And then, and then even after they signed Kevin Durant, uh, to, you know, begin the healing process and to give my book, you know, thousands more words and a completely different ending. Um, you know, I figured, well, I'm about to sort of jump in. I'm about to actually put words on a page for the first time. Now I've got about seven months to do this. So I'm going to go, and for inspiration, I'm going to go and read uh, one of my favorite basketball books, you know, The Bricks of the Game by David Halberstam, generally regarded as the greatest basketball book ever written. And boy, howdy, that was a bad idea because I just completely psyched myself out. You know, just like, what am I? I'm never going to write anything that is 5% as good as this. This is a a fool's errand. Uh, I should just, you know, you tell them not even to send the advance check. Just forget it. Like this is this is not going to happen. Um, and then I kind of got over that. And but that took a while. But then I just realized that I, I just you know I can't write like David Halberstam. I can't you know I you know, can't write like Pete Axelm who did the City Game, which is you know maybe the second best basketball book ever written. I can only write the book that I can write. And so I can you know use my my pacing, my sensibilities. I think I know how to structure it. I've written features before. I just have to extend that out you know, to an almost infinite degree. Um, but I think I can get there. 
and you know I use my voice and use my style and use my reporting and everything else just kind of happens but outside of that I just don't have any control over it I just can write the best book that I can write so you, you uh, just led me exactly where I wanted to go next, uh, mentioning that they lose the finals and then sign Kevin Durant. Mm-hmm. And so I, I wanted to get the insight into the timeline because I yeah. uh, and I didn't even realize that you hadn't written uh, a word of the actual book itself until after the finals. But just um, sort of the timeline of uh, when you were doing the proposal and then mm-hmm. how the project changed. <laughs> Because of those two massive yeah. events, which are you know changed the the outlook of the team so much. So like, how did those two things happening mm. change the timeline you were working with and the book itself as you're kind of planning to put it together? Yeah, I mean it's a great question because you know the last thing I actually wanted to do was like I, I didn't want to rush this whole thing, and I think in the end I actually I didn't I don't think I rushed it. I mean I didn't sacrifice quality. But the whole thing was definitely more accelerated than I wanted it to be. So, you know, I like I said, you know, I, I kind of started this whole process around the All-Star break. So around mid-February, think of 2016. So, um, you know, they're you know still a couple months away from wrapping up the 73-win season. So, you know, I get the proposal. I, I, I you know, send a note to my agent. You know, he, I, it turns out he's a big Warriors fan. I had no idea. He's like, you don't have to convince me. I know about all this. I think it's great. You know, start working up a proposal. And we wanted to get the proposal out uh, by the end of the regular season because we figured that, uh, especially if they win 73, uh, this is something that we we can use that. You know, people are going to be excited about the Warriors. Hopefully, you know, it looks like they're possibly going to be, you know, going on their, you know, going for back-to-back titles. So I just sit out and I did it about six weeks, give or take. You know, that that New York Times Magazine story kind of was a little bit of a bump in the road, but you know, we got through it and. And so we got the proposal done, and it was there were four games left in the season. They had just had a bad loss to Minnesota, and they were at 69 and nine, and they had to win those last four games to get to 73. And even though they were facing the Spurs twice, uh, they did it. They won those last four, and it was it was once they won that last game to get to 73. That's when the publishers started returning, you know, our calls. You know, it was like, you know, they were setting up phone conferences. It was like, well, it, at the very least, 73 is something is something historic. It's something you can't take away from them. They figure that's something that they can hang their hat on, in a sense. So, you know, we get the the book deal in like early May. About six weeks later, they blow the finals. I'm like, well, this is interesting. We'll see how this changes things. And so, it's a little bit of a different ending than we thought. Um, and then they sign Kevin Durant, and I realized that now the ending just changes again. And now we've basically added a chapter onto the, this book. You know, we've added probably five, six thousand words. Um, and then at that point, I realized that, you know, originally what I had proposed was, you know, following the team along throughout this, what was this past season, you know what I mean? And then sort of doing the reporting, a lot of the, a lot of the backstory throughout the season. And the word I got from all the publishers was, that's not, we're not, that's not going to happen. <laughs> we want this now. This needs to be published more, uh, more recent than that. Uh, yeah, you're going to, we're going to need you to hand in a manuscript by the end of this calendar year. And so, um, and so I realized at that point that basically, you know, the last scene in the book is basically going to be, you know, tip off of opening night. You know, after they sign Durant, they go through the Olympics of the summer, they go through training camp, all the expectations, and then they tip off. And then it's, you know, it's basically, you know, Sopranos, you know, cut to black, you know, as the ball is up in the air. Um, and then I knew that there would probably be the possibility for an epilogue on how the season worked out. So, you know, the bottom line is, you know, I, I promised them 80 to 100,000 words. I, f- I filed at 115,000 words. I, they wanted it by the end of the calendar year. I filed it on December 30th. 
And that's really all you can do. And, you know, what I was doing throughout the spring was as I'm waiting for edits to come back, you know, I'm still reporting, you know, I'm doing my beat reporting for Bleacher Report. You know, I ended up doing this, you know, a long profile of Steve Kerr that ran in April that, you know, a lot of the reporting from that and also ended up in the book. And then there was also a lot of stuff that got cut out of that story that also ended up in the book. So, again, there was some 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 extra content that people are going to see in there that they have not read before. Um, and then you're just constantly just trying to keep abreast of, you know, uh, changes to the manuscript and, you know, fact things and copy edits and all that stuff. And so, you know, the book was not – and then I ended up actually doing that epilogue because of how the finals turned out and how great they were. And there are references in there to the previous – you know, to, to the season that had just happened. But I ended up writing, you know, a, a 2,500-word epilogue in like two days, you know, because, you know, they needed it so quickly. Um but I think the book was not actually locked down until like early August. So, you know, basically like two months to the day before the book actually comes out. So in a lot of ways, it, it felt accelerated. There was a lot to be done in a short amount of time. Also, in a lot of ways, the timing just could not have worked out perfectly because, you know, I have this book coming out after they signed Durant, after they win the title. You know, there's there's you know, they basically keep the team together. They re-sign Curry. You know, all of that stuff is referenced in the book. So it all feels very topical and very urgent. And, uh, yeah, I mean, there, there's a lot of ways that this all could have gone wrong, <laughs> you know, starting with losing in the finals in seven games. Uh, although, yeah, I think you can work that to your advantage because, you know, a lot of times that makes for a better ending, you know, when the team is facing uh, difficulty and strife. Um, but it all worked out in the end. All the timing worked out. You know, I, like I said, I don't feel like I sacrificed any sort of quality. Although I will say the next book that I do, I definitely want to take a little bit more time on it. I do not want to write, you know, 100,000 plus words in seven months or whatever it turned out to be. I definitely want to like breathe, you know, stretch my elbows out a little bit, you know, maybe jump into it for two or three years and uh, try to keep a little bit more of my sanity uh, this time around. What was that conversation like when you uh, when they asked for 85 and you said, actually, here's 115,000? <laughs> um, they didn't push back, surprisingly enough. I mean, you know, I. I didn't I tried not to get hung up on that. I knew that if they, you know, if they came back and said, well, we got to cut 10, 20,000 words out of it, I would just deal with that. But, you know, for the, at least for that initial manuscript, I just decided early on that at least for this go around, I'm just going to write uh, however long enough I need to tell the story that I need to tell. And, uh, and you know, it's funny, like you if you use that, you know, I use the word processing program Scrivener, which is like you know, worth every penny if you're doing a project like this. But one of the cool things about that program is it has, you know, word count goals, not just for, you can set a daily word count, you know, 800 words, a thousand words. And then you also set a word count goal for your entire uh, document. And so, you know, over the months, you kind of see it creep up a little bit here and there. You hit like 40, 50,000 words and you think, oh, like I'm over the hump. Like no matter what, you know, I've got, you know, I've got all this behind me. Then you could feel, you could feel the, 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 the tailwind at that point. Um, but then it's like you creeping up to a hundred, 105, and I still have like a whole other chapter to write. <laughs> it's just like, well, you just turn that off. Uh, you just write whatever you need to write. You write what the story needs. And then it's up to your editor to, uh, <laughs> to cut out those words or to say, you know, this is, uh, this is not working. And, and, you know, at one point, you know, the editor did come back to me and say, eh, it's a little bit on the long side. Maybe we're going to, you know, I'm going to go through a pass. Maybe we could, you know, cut this down. We'll, we'll see something a little bit more of what we talked about. And so, you know, I hear from him about maybe six weeks later, and he's like, "Well, we cut it down from 115 to 113.5." It's like, okay, you cut 1,500 words out in six weeks. Like, he's like, "Well, I just looked for other places." He said it was fine. I mean, all that stuff needed to be in there. It was good. So um, that was a nice. Uh, that was a moment of relief uh, for sure because 
if I had to go back and you know cut twenty thousand words out of my baby, <laughs> I would have I would have done it. And and if your editor tells you to do that, that's fine. But I was I was definitely happier to not have to do that. Mm-hmm. So uh, then the other thing that I wanted to ask you about, and and you mentioned it a little, but watching them lose the finals, but sometimes that can make <laughs> for a good story. Uh, yes. So you're not a fan of the team, and uh, you know writers always talk about this uh, not rooting and whatever. But you must have had a rooting interest in at least something interesting happening. So it sounds clear you must have been rooting for them to get to 73, especially since that was like the pivotal moment, those last four games, and then the publishers call back. But what was it like watching that season, kind of hoping that just something memorable would happen? Or even though you know they lost in seven and it was a crazy NBA Finals that everyone will remember. But, uh, you know, if there was a worry about them not even making it to the finals, sure. like what was that like for you just kind of hoping that they wouldn't uh, like fall apart and no longer be an interesting team that people wanted to buy books about? <laughs> I knew that the, I, I wasn't too concerned about them not being interesting. I will say I think in hindsight I probably didn't have enough – you know, we think too when they were down 3-1 to one in the conference finals to OKC, which is I think is like still the thing that like we never talk about. I think we, we, we easily forget that. Um that was I, I was I should have been terrified. <laughs> you know, I, I remember I mean, I actually remember reading like, you know, Warriors postmortems, you know, and all these like what, what went wrong, you know, with the Warriors. And it's like, yeah, they're they're not out of it yet. You know, and then they, you know, they obviously they come back uh, and win those last three games. But I should have been I mean, I should have been really terrified. I, I think the one thing that I had going for me was that I was not um I was not a Warriors fan growing up. I'm actually a Knicks fan growing up, so it, it helped with the first couple of chapters and being able to write about, you know, franchises with, you know, a lot of, you know, futility and incompetent ownership. Uh, I was able to put a lot of those personal, uh, uh, you know, lessons uh, in there and apply them. Um, but I, I didn't have like a huge emotional investment in the Warriors. You know what I mean? So I wasn't, I wasn't like living that part of it. I re- what I really just wanted was. For the story to be as good as possible, it was that old thing about as reporters, we just root for the story, and so. Uh, but at the same time, it's like I just have no control over that. So whatever happens, I was I was you know you're working out contingencies, you're trying to understand well if this scenario plays out, what is my story going to be? How are we going to wrap this up? Um, I do think in the end, like it kind of all worked out for the best because um, you know it was it was it was actually far more interesting that they lost in the finals um, rather than just you know this sort of nonstop you know continuous deluge of success uh, and then whatever part you think that might have played in them eventually getting to sign Kevin Durant obviously I think then that kind of worked out so um, in the end it was fine uh, in the moment I probably I, I, it was probably just all too much of a blur for me to just actually comprehend like, all the different scenarios that it could have played out. But I guess that's the biggest, <laughs> that's the biggest reason why you just kind of like, just don't go there. You know what I mean? Just kind of like you try to separate yourself. You try to keep a, a, enough of a, an emotional disconnect as you can. And yeah, for me, like growing up, not a Warriors fan, I think that was probably the biggest advantage I had uh, at that point. Was it tough as this is going on, especially during that playoff run, balancing being a beat writer covering <laughs> the team and also wanting to save stuff for your book, and I know you just mentioned the mm-hmm. Kerr profile, and you had stuff, some stuff you'd held back. But what was that like, just kind of balancing? Or if you got something really good, was it tempting to leave it for the book or or push it yeah. out? And, and sort of how did you uh, how did you handle that 
balance. Uh, no, it wasn't actually. And I've heard I've heard stories from from other reporters, you know, that that are you know that have like very structured sort of beat writing jobs, and then end up sort of writing books about you know these topics that they cover so heavily. No, I, I never um, I never saved anything for the book. I never I never thought of it that way. I never went out of my way to do that. Um, there's a lot of you know there's a lot of little nuggets and stuff you'll see in the book that you know that I have you know dropped in a you know Bleacher Report or a Sports on Earth piece before you know there's a lot of the stuff that gets repurposed and because you know it is it's there you know it's it's stuff that I witnessed that I that I saw firsthand it's it's part of the narrative you know you have to put that stuff in um th- there are instances where you just you're just you know I'm just soaking up as much information as much scenery as I can and more and more more relevant to this to your question there comes times where there's just you just have so much stuff and there there's just not stuff that's appropriate to put not not appropriate but it just doesn't fit into what you're writing like you you know if you're writing a BR piece or a sports earth piece there's like a very sort of specific thing that you're writing about or an angle that you're taking and oftentimes and not there's just not it's not appropriate for the piece that you're writing so you just kind of you just kind of scribble it down, or you keep uh, keep note of it mentally, and you just kind of put it to the side. And if you can use it for the book, use it for the book. Um, you know, with the book, it really was just about you know trying to get a sense of totality, just all of the things that were going on at any given moment. So it was something where it just made a lot of sense. Where I just can't dump a lot of the stuff that I just couldn't use for for my other pieces before. Uh, into that, and I think that's the case. You know, when we all when we're all go out reporting or we're, we're we're on site at an event or something like that, we always gather up far more information uh, than we actually need for for the story that we're planning to write. It's just that in the, those cases, we normally don't have an outlet for it, and in this case, I just ended up having an outlet for all of it. So, uh, for the book, I mean, a lot of it, like you said, it's scenes you saw and you were there and you were at the daily media availability and things like mm-hmm. that. So how many original interviews did you do specifically for the book, separate of stuff that you already had or maybe stuff that you had had done that you knew would be up for, you know, serving both of those purposes? <laughs> but then after that happened, how much mm-hmm. uh, more work was there where you had to pull people aside and, and chat to them specifically for the book? Yeah, not a lot. I don't want to get too much into specifics with it, but I will say that um, you know the Warriors. This this was this is unauthorized, you know, and which is I think what you want with this kind of book. You know, this was not, you know, I didn't get like, oh, today's the day to go in and talk to Joe Lake up for his book interview. You know what I mean? It's like, you know, the, the, at the time that I went to all of this with the Warriors, I think it was a very uh, delicate uh, situation timing wise for them because this was all sort of in the backlash. Uh, this was in the, sort of the growing backlash to the Kevin Durant signing. So this was when everyone was. Starting to look at them and say, "Oh, these the, the super—they're not a super team; they're super villains, you know. And they are, you know, ruining competitive imbalance, and and they're the team that to, to root against and everything." And that was the time that I went to them, and and it wasn't a case where I was, you know, asking their permission or anything like that. It was a case where I went, you know, look, I'm writing a book about you guys, you know, to whatever extent you guys want to be involved or whatever. Um, let's have that discussion. Let's talk about it at least. And the word I got back from them was that you know they didn't want to seem like they were puffing their chest out in any way or taunting or be like oh we're, we're now the team getting a book written about us and stuff like that. It wasn't um, it, they they didn't want to they, they were very sensitive of their image at that point, which I completely understood and respected, even if I did find it a little bit frustrating. Um, but they, to their credit, they 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 did they very explicitly said to me, we're not going to make this difficult on you. I mean, that's literally the words from their, you know, top PR person. So, you know, and, and, and to their credit, they were very professional about it. You know, they, they still issued me my credential for Bleacher Report. Um, 
you know, everyone knew about it, you know, and they just said, you know what, did you, you just gonna have to do it during the course of your sort of normal reporting and normal media availabilities. And, and you know what, when you are around the practice facility every day, when you are, you know, going, I think I covered, you know, all but three regular season home games last year. I mean, you're just around all the time. You're, you're catching people in the hallways, you know, you're running into people in the media room, you know, or whatever. There's always ways to get the reporting done that you need to get. So, it ended up making it a little bit more difficult <laughs> despite what they promised. But I'll just say, you know, there's always ways uh, to get your reporting done. There's always people that are willing to talk. And in the end, I don't feel like I ended up having to sacrifice anything in the end. Uh, I ended up basically getting to write the book that I wanted to write. So in that sense, they were helpful enough <laughs> and, uh, and it worked out pretty much okay in the end. And then, so how much else did you do? Obviously, you did a lot, uh, and we already talked about your notes section. But mm -hmm. I guess a better question, maybe, what was the strategy? Because you sort of, I mean, for a, a big part of the book, it's each season is its own chapter as you're going mm -hmm. through the, at the beginning, you kind of zoom through the whole franchise history and then right. slow down a little bit on their recent history. So were you just reading everything you could find? Were you like going through box scores one at a time? <laughs> were you watching old games? Like where, uh, like what other work went into it uh, on the side to get all of this sort of the whole chronological history of the franchise? Uh, yes, 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 and yes. <laughs> mm. um, no, I mean, it was, this was a, a extremely research heavy uh, project. You know, I obviously, I think with the benefit of more time, it would have been great to, you know, to actually talk to more people sort of that had been in there. I think it was a little bit constrained sort of by, by, by time restraints and things like that. Um, but there are ways that you can go back and recreate these things. There's ways to go back and to contextualize, but yeah, you're going back and you're, you're reading clips and you're watching old game footage and you are, uh, you're, you're trying to talk to people that were there at that time. And I had a lot of success in, in that regard. Um, but you know, at the same time, you know, you're also looking for, you know, there, I can't tell you how many instances there were where it's like, uh, you know, Joe Lake, you know, here's a YouTube video of Joe Lake up, you know, talking to this, you know, room of venture capitalists at, you know, someplace in Silicon Valley. And, you know, this video came out four months ago and it has like a hundred YouTube views, but this is like a 45 minute interview with the owner of the Warriors, you know? And so it's like, oh, okay, well maybe he won't sit down for a chat with me, but this is actually kind of better in some ways. Cause this is a guy, he's in his natural environment. You know, he's talking to people that, you know, he's known in some cases, you know, for three decades, you know, this, this is his, this is his people. This is where he's comfortable. And so this is, this is where you're getting sort of the true representative Joe Lacob. So it really was about finding like just little nuggets like that, like that, that was the stuff that was fun, you know? And then it's like, it's going back. You know, I became a big, big fan of uh, newspapers.com. You know, I felt like I, I subscribed to that site and like, you know, just like being able to find, you know, going back and like finding like old Arizona Republic clips from 1984, you know, back when Steve Kerr was a freshman for the Wildcats and just, you know, being able to go back and get sort of, you know, a lot of these, you know, first, you know, these primary source accounts of what it was like back then and everything that was going on, that stuff was just super, super valuable and just trying to recreate, you know, the scenes and the, the feeling from back then and all of that stuff. So, yeah, you know, I mean, I wasn't, I wasn't there at the time in a lot of these instances, but I think if your reporting is thorough and dogged enough, I think that you can recreate those things to a point where the reader feels like they're there and that you can sort of – it doesn't feel like some sort of black hole in the middle of your narrative. 
So I, I know you're happy with the book and I know you probably don't want to put anyone on the spot, but is there like one thing that you wish you had or like one person you wish you got to do an interview with or talk to just like one thing that you felt was missing or would have just added to it even more if you could have uh, gotten uh, your dream interview? That's a good question. I, I guess I would have liked to maybe just pick Jerry West's brain for a little bit just because this is a guy who – you know, and there's another book that people can go out if they want to read about Jerry West and the Warriors. Um, but uh, yeah, no, there's, uh, you know, th this was a guy who came in at such a critical moment in, in the franchise's history, you know, in, in coming in that 2011. And he came in and he's like, and he made it very clear that he did not want to be the guy making the decisions. You know, he, he had been that way with the guy with the Lakers for, you know, for, for 20 years or whatever. But this was a guy that came in at such a critical moment when, when the Warriors were still trying to figure out their identity and still trying to figure out what kind of a team and a franchise they were going to be with this new ownership came in. And he basically helped them. He basically helped point them in the right direction. He helped them make some really critical decisions. He helped them make not make some critical decisions, you know, like such as, you know, the Clay Thompson for Kevin Love trade, you know, really talking them off the ledge as far as that goes. So um, this is so, so critical. You know, I, I'm it's going to be interesting to see what he does with the Clippers. But, you know, I feel like his legacy with the Warriors is, is pretty well known and pretty well established. And uh, and plus, he's the logo. Like who just wouldn't want to like talk to the logo for five minutes? I mean, seriously. Yeah, just to have a good excuse to do that. Exactly. All right, I am down to my last couple questions. Um, what was the toughest part of the whole book process, whether it was in writing or the aftermath or putting it together or researching? What yeah. about the whole process was just the toughest thing for you to do? It was tough in the aftermath because I think once you file the manuscript, there's part of you that thinks, oh, you're kind of done with most of it. And it turns out you're not really done with most of it. Like there's so much more to do and it's just about – Making sure that you know all of your corrections get made and 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 you know there's no dumb mistakes and, and it keeps moving along and and just all that kind of little stuff. But I'll say like sort of big picture wise, I would say the biggest challenge was this is this will sound you know sort of elementary, but it's like just figuring out how to write a book. Like I'd never written a book before. You know, I've obviously I've written a lot for for web and online, but it's this idea that I just had to figure out the pacing, the structure. You know, with, with books, you really have to slow down and you have to, you know, you have to clue the reader in at some point that this is going to be a long journey. <laughs> it's going to take us a while to get to the end. Um, don't don't worry. Rest assured we will get there. It'll probably it'll be fun. I think you'll enjoy it. Um, but you're in good hands. And so you need to write. You need to slow it down. You need to write with a sort of confidence. You need to. Under, you need to just sort of let the story take take it where it's going to go. You need to let that process play out organically. Uh, you can't it's you can't really force stuff. I mean that's why the book is very chronological. It's very linear. Like you know I, I wrote it like as if I were writing like a New Yorker feature. Like New Yorker features like they start at point A and they end at point Z, and they don't really they they don't take a lot of tangents in the middle. And that's really kind of what. I mean, that's really just sort of how I envisioned it as I was going through. And to me, like once I felt like I had a really good handle on that, like style wise and pacing wise, I feel like, you know, I would just write in these bursts. Like I, I ended up not being like an 800 word a day, everyday guy. I ended up being like, I'm going to you know go to the library on Saturday and bang out three, four thousand words and do that in a day. And, you know, in the quiet and the air conditioning of the library, like, you know, very ideal conditions and just and just write until uh, the chapter's done or write until I get to a nice little section break. 
but just write and, and just let the story keep playing itself out. And once I'd done enough reporting and enough research and then understood that that's how I was going to see this book through to completion, then the whole process felt a lot easier. But it was quite a learning experience getting to that point, let me tell you. All right. So final thing, not the toughest part, but is there anything about it that was just the most unexpected or something about the whole process that surprised you that, or that you learned either about the process or yourself or your style or just something that came up that was a bit of a surprise? Um, not re- I mean, I just that, that it exists. I mean, I, I feel like there was so many points along the way where I just tried not to take it for granted. And you just, you, you think that, uh, there's just so many points where this could just go awry, you know, just, there's so many places where it just could crater or, you know what I mean? It's just like you try to set expectations and you try to just, you know, uh, under, under, pro- under promise, over deliver kind of thing. Um, and so for me, it was just a case where I just wasn't going to believe that this was real, uh, until I was actually holding it in my hands and then like to actually, Get that you know box of books you know a couple of weeks before it comes out, and then I think to finally see it in a bookstore, like there's just really there's just no feeling like that. And then you go back and you just think about all of the months you know commandeering the kitchen table, you know, with all of your notes and folders and and your laptop and and all that stuff. I will say I think that was probably the best uh, the best moment of this whole process was once the manuscript was done, clearing up, boxing up all my files, knowing that the process was not done yet. But at least I could, you know, clear off our kitchen table and we could have meals together as a family again after, you know, six months of, of commandeering it. I think that was probably the best moment in the whole process. All right. Well, thanks, Eric. Thanks for doing the podcast a second time, which was awesome. Yeah. Uh, congrats on the book. Uh, I read it. It was a lot of fun. I enjoyed it. Even for uh, a Sixers I, fan. So even for to, well, I was to about clear, to say not, you're I, not not mostly invested here. I you you just beat me to it. I was about to say I look forward to the paperback edition with the uh, <laughs> added chapter about the, the Warriors, Warriors finals, losing to the, the Sixers. Sixers. How did it, how did it happen? I'll let Eric tell the story in the paperback. <laughs> <laughs> I look right. forward to telling that story. That's going to be fun. <laughs> Great. Well, thanks. Uh, People can check out the book. It's on Amazon slash everywhere they sell books. They can follow you on Twitter at Eric Mal, E-R-I-K-M-A-L. I I usually ask if anyone has anything else they want to plug, but I think it's pretty obvious you're plugging the book right now. Yes, uh, please go buy the book. All right. Thanks again to Eric. As a reminder, you can also follow me on Twitter. I'm at Mitch Goldich, M-I-T-C-H-G-O-L-D-I-C-H. You can also like my Facebook page to see all of my other podcasts and things that I'm writing for Sports Illustrated. You can subscribe to the podcast in iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or Google Play Music. You can always go back and listen to old episodes, including Eric's first episode, if you want to check that out. Although, I'm a little worried it's the very first one, so who knows if it's any good. But uh, Ben Lindbergh, Will Leach, Jason Stark, plenty of other fun guests that I've had on the uh, podcast, and you can go check it out. Lastly, if you enjoy it, please leave me a rating and a review because that uh, helps other people find the podcast, and it's always very appreciated to hear what you think. Final, final thing, you can check out my other podcast, Mitch Eats Food, which is the podcast that uh, is just me talking about food. It's more frequent because it's less work and I don't have to book any guests and because I eat every day and get to talk about it. So Mitch Eats Food has been a lot of fun as a project, and you can go check that out and subscribe to that one in iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and Google Play Music as well. So that's going to do it for today. Thanks again to Eric. Thanks, everybody else, for listening, and I'll talk to you again soon.